What's up, all you investors out there? This is the Master Passive Income Show. My name is Dustin Heiner, and I help people to quit their jobs by investing in real estate rental properties so they never have to work a job again. Now, in today's show, we're going to be talking all about investing in raw land. Now, we always talk about rental properties here on the show, but I found somebody that invests in raw land and also makes passive income from raw land. Basically, he buys the property like 10% of what the market value is. Remember, it's just raw land, no improvements on it. And then he either sells it and makes cash or he actually does a seller financing to the new buyer and gets a monthly payment in passive income, which is what we absolutely love. Now, in this case, you're basically the bank where you are making money and you're getting interest and you're basically selling the property to them. So you got to do another deal. Anyways, what we're going to be doing is talking all about land investing and how you can do it and make that a part of your real estate portfolio so you can quit your job. All right, guys, let's get into today's show and learn all about investing in raw land. Let's do this. Welcome to the Master Passive Income Podcast, where we talk about all aspects of real estate rental properties with a special focus on making enough money so you can quit your job and live the dream life. And now, here is your host, Dustin Heiner. Awesome. Now, I am super excited about today's show. I have a special guest on with me today. Before I get to that, what I want to share with you is that we are done with our four-week trip all over the East Coast. Now, we started in Florida August 13th. We flew into Florida from Phoenix, and then from there, took four weeks and drove all the way up to as high as New York City, you know, visited all of New York City, then came back down. We ended up in Washington, D.C. Super amazing going through all that great history, every single state. I mean, it was August and September, so it was very hot, very humid, but we had a fantastic time. Four weeks of nonstop traveling, sightseeing, history, all that great stuff. Plus, I had two different conferences that I went to. I went to Podcast Movement, which was in August, that was in Florida. Then I went to FinCon, the Financial Bloggers Conference, basically how to do everything online better to show you and help you how to invest in real estate. Now, today's show is actually from somebody that I met at FinCon. I met this gentleman and he was telling me how he invests in raw land. That's right. I mean, how many of you have ever thought about investing in raw land? I know. No, me too. I've never thought about that at all, <laughs> but this gentleman does. And that's why I wanted to bring him on the show. Not just because he buys it and flips it and makes money, which is great, but he also is able to do passive income. And the way he does it, and he'll get into it, but briefly what he does is he buys the property for basically 10% of the market value and then finds a buyer and then has that buyer go on a seller financing note. You know, it could be 0%, it could be 5%, whatever you want, but you get maybe, let's say, like a five-year loan to the buyer, and you're making monthly, or they're making monthly payments to you, and you're making passive income. And along with investing in real estate rental properties and land, I want to give you a free investing course. And I'm super excited of this way of just basically sending a text in order to get this free course. This is what I want you to do. Text the word rental, R-E-N-T-A-L, to 33777. 
rental to 3377, just that one word, and I will get you set up within, it'll be sent right to your email address. It'll be your free course. You'll be able to download that free course, get started seeing how you can get started investing in real estate, and you can change your life by investing in real estate rental property. So again, text that word rental to 33777 so you can get started. Now today's show, I am bringing on a gentleman. He is the founder of retipster.com. And he basically shows people how to invest in real estate just like I do, but he more specifically invests in raw land. Something I've never thought to actually do, never wanted to do. But after talking to him, I thought, hey, this is probably a great way to do it. So Let's get into today's show where I'm interviewing this gentleman. His name is Seth Williams of RE Tipsters. And let's start the show where he shows us how he invests in raw land. All right. Hey, Seth, thank you so much for being here with me. Now, Seth is the owner of retipster.com. And he is somebody I'm really, really glad I was able to meet and get to know. Super, super awesome, nice guy. And I really wanted to bring him on the show because of this different style, a different way of investing in real estate. He talks about land investing and how to buy land, how to sell land, and using that to make money, which is absolutely fantastic. So Seth, thank you so much for being here on the show. Yeah, no problem, Dustin. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, man. Man, it was, it was obviously great to, to meet and then get to know each other. But at the same time, I'm super excited to have you on. Now, tell us about retipster.com and you know why you started that and then you know fast forward to now like what is your what what are you doing right now with it yeah so i started retipster.com back in 2012 and uh the thing that sort of inspired me to to start it was i had discovered uh, another blogger online named pat flynn and he was running a site still going today called smartpassiveincome.com and uh i mean the subject matter is totally different it's not related to real estate but uh, he was just doing a really awesome job of putting out a lot of very helpful and free content that was like legitimately worth paying for. Like it was very, very good stuff. And again, it was just free. He was just kind of putting it out there. And um, I saw that he was also able to monetize that pretty well in a way that like didn't make him look or sound like a cheesy salesman or a, a guru or something like that. And and that just really resonated with me. I, I've always been a terrible salesperson. Like I'm just not even good at that. And I saw that he was able to just add a lot of value just by being real and helpful and, you know, kind of transition to real estate. I had been uh, running a land investing business for a few years. I had been investing in rental properties. So like, I wasn't like the best there is or anything, but I knew a handful of things and I had learned some, some lessons along the way. And a lot of the lessons I learned didn't necessarily come from a course per se. It was just like, the school of hard knocks, just like messing stuff up or spending tons of hours trying to get to the bottom of how something worked. Like nobody spoon fed that to me. It was just, it was hard work. And I thought, you know, maybe I can sort of take some of these problems and offer valid solutions to people. And uh, so I was able to start doing that. And ever since 2012, about once a week, I've been putting together content like that, addressing one issue or another you know, like how to find motivated sellers, how to get property sold, how to build a buyer's list, all this stuff. And the goal is to just kind of give it away and be helpful and find creative ways to monetize that along the way. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. The site's grown a lot over the years. And yeah, that's kind of the backstory on RE Tipster. 
That's great. And that's the exact same story with master passive income. I started investing in real estate for uh, since 2006, started buying real estate rental property specifically, and then found, found Pat Flynn's site as well. And so, yeah. you know, that's where I'm at today is because I just want to help people just like you. So tell us a little bit about land investing and how you got started because you started doing that before RE Tipster. And now that you have um, land investing, you have a course and everything, but tell us a little about how you got started investing in land because it just seems so foreign to me buying, I buy houses and I rent those out. But tell us how you did that, maybe about the first deal and you know what went through your head. Yeah. Yeah. You're not alone. A lot of people, when they hear land, they just, they're like, what? Like they don't, they don't get it. You know, and, it, and I, I remember the first time I heard the idea, I sort of thought the same thing. Like, how do you create cash flow with dirt that's just sitting there? I don't get it. Um, but really, there's a, a few different things that come into play with land that uh, make it make a lot of sense. I, I had spent uh, a couple of years from about 2006 or so to 2008 trying so hard to find deals on the MLS for like rental properties or houses to flip. And I don't know if it was just the market I was in or if it you know, maybe I was looking in all the wrong places or what, but like, I could not find deals that made sense. Like no matter how I sliced it, like they were all going to lose money from day one. And I, I was getting so frustrated and I couldn't figure out how people made money at real estate because I, I couldn't find these opportunities. And uh, when I heard about the land business, there's a few things going on here. First of all, obviously with land, it's a very simple, very boring type of property. And boring is a good thing. Just the fact that like it sits there, it behaves itself, nothing happens. There's no tenants calling in, nothing gets broken, stolen or destroyed. For a lot of reasons, it's just it's a very hands-off investment, which, which I liked. Um, but even beyond that, uh, there's a lot of people out there that own vacant land and they own it free and clear and they don't want it. For one reason or another, maybe they inherited it, like it was never their decision in the first place, it just fell in their lap. Or maybe they bought it 20 years ago and their plans changed and they haven't seen it since then. And it's really just this annual tax bill they have to pay that's a nuisance in their life and they don't know what to do with this thing. And um, so I basically learned about a number of different lists you can get uh, of landowners in pretty much any county in the country. And you, know, you can filter these lists very specifically to target exactly the types of landowners that you want whether you want people who have delinquent taxes or you want people who own lands of certain shapes and sizes or certain value ranges, all this stuff. And it's really as simple as just sending them a very simple piece of mail. So it's a direct mail marketing approach. Um, either saying something like, Hey, you know, I see you own land in this County and I'm looking to buy land in that County. If you want to sell it, give me a call. It could be that simple. Or it could be an actual blind offer where you've formulated a really, really low offer price based on the size of their property. And the first point of contact is just a number. So either way can work. There's different pros and cons to each approach. But um, I found through doing that, that like it was incredibly easy, comparatively speaking, to find deals on land versus, you know, houses and apartments and that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, even if you ask household sailors, I mean, it's, it's very competitive with direct mail. Like you got to send out tens of thousands of mailers to get one deal. And with land, it's like, I was getting deals after like 500 pieces of mail, sometimes less than that. Um, so I just found it was super easy to find deals. And usually the offers that I would be making would be around 10 to 20% of market value, usually on the lower end of that. 
And, uh, you know, it's kind of like if you were able to buy anything for 10% of its value, I mean, how hard do you think it's going to be to make money on that? Especially when you can own a free and clear, I mean, you just turn around and list the thing for 50% of market value or even 70%. And I mean, there's just a very obvious value proposition there. And it's not like the lots always sell at lightning speed, but you know, it's pretty rare that I'm holding on to these things for longer than a few months. I mean, it's they turn over pretty quickly because, again, like I'm able to get in, into them with a lot of free real estate equity and a huge uh, margin for error. So even if I ended up being wrong about the thing when I bought it, say I made some incorrect assumptions about its value or maybe I overlooked something in the due diligence process, the fact that I'm getting it for so cheap, it just makes it really hard to get hurt on these deals, which uh, really appealed to me. So. And so the first property, when you found that, it was many years ago, but tell us about getting that first property and the, the steps that you took and then how you sold it. Yeah. So first property I ever got, it was in a county just to the north of me and I'm in Michigan and uh, it was a half acre parcel of land. And I, you know, this one of many different postcards I sent out, uh, this guy was uh, a man in, I think it was Long Beach, California is where he lived. And you know, he was one of these people that he bought the the property a lot of years ago. He hadn't seen it since then. And he just didn't want this thing. There was no reason to keep it. And when he saw me offering him a few hundred dollars for it, he's like, Hey, I'll take that instead of wasting 50 bucks a year for taxes. So, um, so yeah, so we ended up doing the deal and he was overjoyed. He wasn't just willing to accept the offer. He was actually happy to, to get uh, this few hundred dollars. And you know, it was a very simple transaction. We mailed back and forth a cashier check and the deed. And uh, yeah, I was able to buy the thing and I sold it 11 days later for $1,900. And um, it was really as simple as taking a few pictures of the property, putting together a couple paragraphs, explaining what it was, and then listing it on Craigslist, which is free. And I had a few people call me and it was within just a few days, an actual serious cash buyer said, Hey, like we'll come up and buy it this weekend. And they did. That's, that's phenomenal. And so from 2008 to now, do you try to get as many deals like per month or per year? Or like, what are your thoughts? Like, how do you build, continue to build your business? Cause when I buy properties, I get continual cash flow. I don't sell Mm -hmm. it one time and get that. Um, do you have to have a lot of deal deal through and all that sort of stuff? Yeah. So there's a number of different ways you can approach this kind of business. Uh, one approach is to go after lots of little deals like this, where you know one deal is not going to let you quit your job, but you know it's you know it's a nice paycheck, and um, and basically just kind of have this factory of deals churning through your inventory, and um, I, I think the nice thing about that is that you get your your cash moves pretty quickly, you, you can make money pretty fast, uh, but it's also like you always have to stay pedaling. Like if you stop, the cash is going to stop. Um, another way to approach this is to not not pursue the, the small deals so much, but sort of go after the larger ones, like ones that are going to make like 10000 a piece or more. And even beyond that, getting into seller financing, which is actually a, a huge deal uh, if you're going to do this kind of business. You don't have to do seller financing, but there's a lot of advantages that come into the picture if you're willing to do this. And essentially, like say, for example, this... Uh, I don't know, if I bought a property for 500 bucks and I turn around and I sold that property for 5,000, but I didn't take cash for it. Instead, I collected $500 as the down payment. And then 
charge them say 10% interest or even no interest is fine. But the idea is the person continues to make monthly payments for the rest of this uh, purchase price over the next 12, 24, 36, or 60 months even. I mean, it's whatever you want to work out. You're kind of acting like the bank, but uh, you basically collect monthly payments uh, for however long you want to stretch the term out for. And the nice thing about this is that you you can structure these deals so that you get most, if not all of your investment back in the down payment. And then for the rest of the term of that, it's pure profit. Because remember, you, you own this thing free and clear. It's not like you need the money to cover a loan payment. Um, and you know, there are people who basically do hundreds of these things. So they have lots of notes on the books making to the tune of like 20 to 30 grand a month, just from this income that's coming in from these notes. And, uh, that, uh, I won't say it's a hundred percent passive because there's little oddball things to do here and there to kind of maintain the books and that, but, but like it's way more passive than having to sell for cash and, and all that. So, and also keep in mind, like these notes will uh, expire at some point, either they'll pay off or the borrower might stop paying and then you have to get in there and repossess it and resell it. But still like it's, it totally smooths out your income and gives you a much more predictable uh, amount of cash flow each month. So that's something a lot of people uh, do in this kind of business. I love that idea. I, I, we love passive income and that's what my family lives on is the passive income from our rental properties and land is, <laughs> It, you don't have any headaches. Like you don't have any maintenance. You don't have anything like that. And so I love that idea. Now, when you bought it in 2008, you were able to sell it basically to make $1,600 on that sale. Obviously, you have taxes and stuff like that. But now, fast forward to now, you know, it's 2019. Now, when we're recording this, um, and the market is pretty high right now. In fact, it's really high, in my opinion. What, are you, what is the business model now as opposed to 2008 when it was already, you know, on the, on the decline um, when the recession? And so, what is it looking like now and how does that play out? Yeah. You know, honestly, the the business model is still very similar to how it's always been. I Probably the, the most notable difference I've noticed is that there's a little bit of competition out there. When I first started this, there was literally zero competition. Like I never encountered another land investor who was going after the same deal that I was. Occasionally, depending on which markets you're working in, you might bump into people here and there. But even then, like it's like probably 1% as competitive as household selling or a lot of other real estate strategies out there. So, um, you know, I, I won't say it's zero competition, but it's still very, very low. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's still a lot of people out there that own land that they don't want. It's not so much a function of the market and values being higher. Cause remember the people that we're buying from, like they don't think about their land like you or I would like, they literally don't care. It's like, there's a lot of apathy or, I mean, sometimes they're in a situation where it's like, they need the cash now. Like they can't, you know, mess around with trying to list this thing and wait in years to get full market value for it. If they see somebody with an easy button, it's like, they're, they're going to take that, that opportunity. So it's just a matter of uh, finding the people where they are. I mean, Cause remember these people are not going to put a for sale sign on their yard. You need to seek them out and, you know, basically be at their doorstep and you can do that pretty efficiently with direct mail because remember you can get, we're not just sending mail to the general public. We're getting very specific lists of very specific types of property owners and sending them a very targeted message. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's very feasible to pull this off and continually find uh, more opportunities. And like, just for example, a lot of the deals that come across my desk these days are actually coming through my website, like not even from direct mail. Like I have a website website, 
where I offer to pay cash for land and people find it and submit their property information there. Um, so like, I'm not even paying for direct mail for those. And, uh, <laughs> you know, the, and these are people that are, are actually seeking me out. It's almost backwards, but it's just, a it goes to show that there's a lot of people out there that own land that they don't want and they just want to get out. So it's just not that hard to find those. That's, that's awesome. Now we're going to get into more. I want to get into more about the nuts and bolts, but so anybody listening right now, if they are interested in it, do you have anything that you can give them that they can, they can go and start, Hey, I want to look into this more. Is there anything you can give them? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I've got a couple things here. First of all, um, put together a, a short guide about how to get started in the land investing business. And this actually, a lot of this stuff crosses over into other parts of real estate as well, but I wrote it specifically for aspiring land investors, but uh, you can check that out. It's at retipster.com forward slash getting started guide. So that'll sort of bring you to that. And then also there's another one. There's a blog post I wrote and I made it into an ebook just because I thought it was, it basically lays out the entire business model that I'm following. It, not just explaining it, but actually linking to a ton of different resources to get the job done. Uh, and you can find that at uh, landflippinglifecycle.com. That'll bring you to that blog post. But yeah, awesome. between those two everybody, things, I think. Yeah. yeah, everybody listening, I'll put those in the show notes as well so that you can actually go and get those. Now, I am super excited to learn about this new way of getting, number one, getting passive income. Now, people might say, well, it's eventually going to expire. Like you said, the the note's going to come due and they're going to have to get, you know, they're going to get the property and you're not going to get that anymore. It's like, yeah, but you didn't do a whole ton to get into it. And it's passively, you get passive income. Well, I, I love about passive income. I work one time, but I get paid over and over again. Now yeah. it's not indefinite. You know, eventually I will die and so I'll stop making money from my rental properties or I'll pass them on my kids or I sell them or whatever it might be. But it's creating that passive income. And I love the fact that getting and create, getting the property and then creating notes. Now, Tell us a little about, we'll get to the notes in just a second, but give us a little bit more about now getting, I understand, completely understand sending out letters and sending out um, uh, even postcards, like uh, doing that. But tell us more about how we can find these properties. Because me as an investor, I see, I drive by and see a house. I always glass, glass over properties that are vacant, like, or there's no land there. Mm -hmm. or, sorry, there's just land, no properties, no improvements mm -hmm. on it. I just kind of glass over those. I just look at properties. And so, Tell us how to find these properties, these um, vacant lands. There's lots that we can actually put, you know, send letters out on. Yeah. So um, I think it is important actually to find a good market to do this in. There are opportunities pretty much everywhere in every county and every city, like they're all out there. But there are some things I try to steer away from and steer myself towards when I'm looking for a new market for this kind of thing. Um, so Personally, I'm usually looking in a rural area. That doesn't mean you have to do that. There's certainly opportunities in densely populated areas as well. Um, but usually, just like statistically speaking, if you take any major metropolitan area and then look at like the counties that surround that, you're usually going to find lots of good opportunities there because it's within a reasonably short driving distance uh, from that major city, but it's not like way, 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 way out in the middle of nowhere. So um, that's usually what I, I like to target. I do know some people who are doing this like in huge, you know, uh, like in the city basically, and they are finding lots of opportunities there too. So I don't want to imply that you can't make this work there, but I just usually find a, a better success rate in the rural areas. And um, it's also helpful to, 
pick a state and a county where you know there's job growth there's you know plenty of tourism going on there it's a place where people for one reason or another want to be or they want to own land there um there's a, a kind of a big difference you know if you were to look at a state like i don't know maine i mean not, nothing wrong with maine i'm not saying there's anything wrong with that but if you compare that to like florida there's a lot of people that love florida it's just sort of seen as this destination it's a hot spot it's warm in the winter there's disney disney world there all this stuff um in maine there's not so much of that going on um it's just a different world so I've never worked in Maine, but I would hypothesize you would have a, an easier time selling properties quickly in a place like Florida compared to a place like Maine. So just take some time to understand like which places are just places where people want to be generally. Um, I've done a lot of deals in Michigan, for example, and Michigan I've found to be kind of like in the middle. It's not like the best place to do this, but it's not that bad either. Like there, there's things it has to offer, but it's not like the number one spot necessarily. Um, but yeah, it's really just a matter of once you pick uh, a state and a county where you want to start looking, uh, get one of these lists. And when I first started doing this, I exclusively worked with the delinquent tax list. And this is basically a list that every county in the country has. It's the way that they keep track of who is current and who is late on their property taxes. And usually there's a set period of time that a property owner has where if you don't pay your property taxes within... 12 months or 24 months, then we're going to take your property and you're going to lose everything. And the nice thing about the delinquent tax list is that um, while it's kind of a pain to get and it's usually a mess to sort through, everybody on this list has something in common. There is a problem with that property. And for one reason or another, they've not been paying their taxes. And it's just a, it's kind of like the law of averages. Like there's, there's usually a lot of motivation on that list. Uh, however, that's not the only way to do this. Uh, the thing that I use more often now is a service called DataTree. Uh, by the way, you can get a discount on DataTree. We have an affiliate link for that. <laughs> retipster.com forward slash DataTree. But um, I've actually Absolutely. got- I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll make sure that we put that in the notes too because I love giving um, uh, discounts or figuring out ways to either do it for free or discounted. So we'll, we'll say that link one more time. Yeah, it's retipster.com forward slash DataTree. Data tree. Okay. I'll yep. make sure that's in there. Yeah. Thanks, man. Um, but yeah, I've got lots of uh, videos that explain how to use data tree, but um, it's a great tool, not only for researching properties. So like you can find the name of the owner, their mailing address, all the details about pretty much any property in the country, but it's also great for getting, getting these lists. Like you can select the state, the county, all the specifics of the kinds of properties you do and don't want on this list. You can download a Excel or a CSV file, and then you know there's a little bit of extra sorting that that is required, which again I explain on the blog. Um, but yeah, you just you take this list in your mail piece and you upload it to a service like we've been using Letterprinting.net a lot lately, but Click2Mail is another one, Click2Mail.com, and uh, yeah, you just upload what you need and send the mail out. So. It's not like you're licking stamps and folding envelopes yourself. This is like a few clicks of a button and it happens behind the scenes. And it's actually cheaper that way anyway. So, so you have the, that's the process of actually getting the list, which is great. And mm -hmm. um, uh, DataTree being able to figure out where you want to start investing. So from there, they send out this other company, the third party, 
sends out the letters and obviously you probably have a script or something that you've already either written or that's worked out really, really well. And so when they you know uh, go to you, they'll, they'll be able to get that. Now, once that letter's sent out, um, it's obviously a numbers game. You throw, you send out a thousand, hopefully you get, I don't know, maybe 10% back or whatever it might be. Now, once you just get one back, you get somebody calling you on the phone and saying, Hey, I'm, I saw you, I got your letter and I want to sell. What's the next step after that? Yeah, sure. There's actually a few different uh, iterations I've gone through in terms of how I handle these incoming calls. Initially, what I would do is I had a two minute long pre-recorded voicemail greeting, basically saying, Hey, thanks for calling. I'm glad you got my letter. And by the way, you can get this exact script on my blog if you wanted, but um, just ex- kind of just keeping people on the line. And after two minutes, if they're still listening, they can leave me a voicemail and let me know the basics about their property, their name, how to get a hold of them. Uh, so that worked, but that was not the most efficient way to do this. Um, and it ended up requiring a lot of back and forth with me and them. So I tuned up my script a little bit to instead say, you know, you can leave me a voicemail if you want, but if you want to get an offer faster, go to our website. And I'd tell them the URL that would also be on the mail piece they got in the first place. And um, I, I basically call it my buying website and they could go through a form, submit all the details about their property, basically answering all the questions I would ask them on the phone anyway. So it takes none of my time. It just comes to me in an email in my inbox and I can then look at what they thought the market value is, because that's one of the questions I ask is, what do you think this property is worth? And whatever number they told me, I'm not, I'm not even going to cross check it at this point. I'm just say, if they think it's worth, I don't know, $50,000, I'm just going to automatically send them an email back with an offer, like saying, Hey, would you take 5,000 bucks for that? And again, (laughs) like lots of people say no, lots of people say, I hate you. You're stupid, stuff like that. But some people say yes. And you know, it doesn't, cost me anything really to just send them a quick email and throw something at the wall and see if it sticks. Now, is that pausing your thought? Is that automated where it's like it grabbed the five fifty thousand and then put it out to where it's 5,000 or do you actually get those and then funnel those and actually type out the emails? Yeah. Great question. It is automated. Um, <laughs> how, however, I will say that's a fairly recent thing for a lot of years before that I was literally looking at it you know, looking at the number and then I have a text expander snippet with a pre-populated email where I can just plop a number in there and send it back to them. So it looks like I took a bunch of time to, you know, write in a big long response, but, um, but yeah, now it's automated. These offers are literally going out whether I check the email or not. Um, and people accept them. It's the wow. craziest now, thing in the world. Is that something that, that you're, you're providing to your students or like, cause that sounds super amazing. I would, it's like, yeah. let me just push a couple of buttons and then all of a sudden I get offers in and I can buy something and then eventually resell it or do something like that. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually, it's actually a pretty big deal. The automated aspect of that. Um, but yeah, what I'm using for that, and I've actually got a review of this that I'm working on, like as we speak, but uh, there is a WordPress plugin called REI land leads. And um with that, with that uh, theme, this you know, assuming you're running your website on WordPress, uh, it also comes with a plugin called Automated Offers. So if you pay for the thing, all this stuff comes with it. Um, but that plugin is really what does all the work. It'll you know take in the email, and then it waits for I think it's like 60 minutes, and then it sends them this this offer back to them. Um, so yeah, I actually I, love it. I was actually able to work with that theme developer to come up with a lot of this stuff. So 
Like is that, a lot is of the actual wording you'll see in that is stuff that I wrote. <laughs> so is that something that you do offer to your students to like you, you sell like a service or? Yeah, well, I, I, I have uh, really detailed tutorials that like show how to use it and how to put it together if you decide to buy it and where you can go to get it. But I don't, I don't actually own the theme myself. It's not something I developed, so I can't give it to you, but I can show you everything yeah. about where it is and how to use it. Yeah, I, I love it. And so every business that I create, I try to make it as automated. And it's, we're so blessed with the technology we have. I mean, yeah, there's really probably are. a way you can figure it out. And every every day it gets better and better. But I try to make it as automated as possible. Like even I'm starting a gym. Um, I, I hopefully will sign a letter of intent with a uh, the landlord. And mm-hmm. the end goal is to having a gym that makes money, which would be great. But I want to own the entire structure. There's 16,000 square feet. So I want to own the entire thing. I'm only going to take out 4,000. That's the end goal. But anyways, um, I am creating a business that I literally don't have to be there. It's going to be a 24-hour gym, and there's not going to be any employees. I'll have a maintenance guy that will come out and do maintenance and things like that, but it's going to be as automated as possible. And so this business sounds fantastic. Now, once they have that offer and they're like, you know, somebody says, oh, man, this guy's just wasting my time, and they throw it away. You get many, many people like that, but you'll get other ones that say, Hey, that's, that's not enough. Like maybe come up a little bit or they might even just accept it from that point. Like what do you, obviously there's some negotiating, but once you get a deal, like they say, yes, what's the next step after that? Yeah. So the next step after that, uh, kind of depends on the value of the property. Usually if like, if I think the full market value of it is like less than 10,000, then the process would be for me to close in house, meaning, not using a title company. I'm literally doing my own title search to make sure the title is clear. I can write a deed. We can do the transaction that way. The reason that, actually don't do this a whole lot anymore, but the reason I used to do that a lot um, is because it's, I mean, you obviously save a few hundred bucks. You can move a lot faster than most title companies can. And it's frankly not that complicated of a transaction. I mean, it's, there's no loans involved. Like it's just like a deed. Maybe a quick, purchase. Is it agreement. a quick claim deed? Um, no. Well, when I'm buying, I want that person to sign a warranty deed. Warranty to me. deed. Got it. Um, when I'm selling a quick claim deed, may be what I use. Uh, it kind of depends that in some States, a quick claim deed can really screw up the chain of title. Title companies just hate seeing those. Um, so usually what I would default to is something called a special warranty deed, which is basically giving a warranty for the time when I own it. It's not it. warranting back to the beginning yep. of time. Um, so anyway, that's one way to do it. It's, I'd say if you're on a shoestring budget, if you have very little money, if it's a cheap deal, that's certainly a viable way to go. However, it also is fairly time consuming and you have to learn a thing or two before you do that. It's kind of complicated. And so, you know, if you're doing a deal that's 10 grand or more, I mean, it's kind of a no brainer to just work with a title company. I mean, they will move slower. It will cost more, but that's okay because there's a lot more profit in the deal and I don't have time to mess with it anyway. And they can, frankly, these people do this stuff all day long. So like, they're much less likely to make mistakes than I am. So, so you would take that, whatever you guys agree upon, do you actually write up a contract and have them sign it before you take it to the title company? Yeah, usually I do. Um, is it again, fairly long or is it very simple contract? Nope, it's a one page contract with probably like, I think there's eight, eight or nine um, clauses in it, just explaining the basics of the price, closing date, you know, when this deal expires, I've got a little assignment clause in there just to give me the ability to assign it if I want to, um, you know, all the normal stuff you'd expect to see. So it's, uh, it's, it's actually 
intentionally made that way so as to make it easy for a person to say yes. If they get like a 10-page contract, it's a lot more reasons to be hesitant on that. You know? That's a great point. And um, in fact, one of the most trafficked uh, page on my site is I created one a long time ago. It was and or signs is the the name of the, the blog post of the article. Oh, cool. And I, I get like, I'm like the number one, I think I still the number one on Google. If you type in and or signs in there, That's but awesome. I get so many people going into the that page, but it's such a great term and uh, term just to use and or signs because you don't have to buy it. You can assign it to anybody you want. Like that, just taking that one particular contract and doing what you have the freedom is what you know. You have many options, so that's fantastic. Now, if you're going to go through it, you're not going to sign it. Let's that's a whole other you know discussion. Um, now you're going to actually buy it. You're going to you took it the one page contract, which I love. I love one page contracts. Make it as be as open and honest and straightforward. X, Y, and Z, take it to the title company. Title company does the um, title search. Now, do you pay the title company? Do you maybe negotiate to have the seller pay um, the, the, the title search? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so if you're working with a title company, um, one of the big luxuries of working with them is that they're acting as an intermediary to um, you know, basically a disinterested third party that is taking the money and taking the deed and making sure everybody is doing what they're supposed to do before the funds get dispersed anywhere. Um, so yeah, it's just just a matter of following their directive. In terms of who pays for what, that's always specified in the purchase agreement. And by default, I was set myself to pay for closing costs, delinquent taxes, anything like that, because it's kind of a big selling point in terms of why somebody would say yes to my offer in the first place. Cause it's just very clean cut. Like that number is literally what you're going to get. I pay for everything. Um, so yeah, it's basically just following their timeline. And when they ask for the funds, I give it to them and they do the rest. I love uh, that. Yeah. Yeah. It, that's, that's definitely the way you know, when I'm buying properties, I love having the sellers pay for the title company. So most, most of the title work there, I, I try to have them pay all that sort of stuff. But in this case, you're finding distressed sellers that really just want out. You want to give them as as few rubs or problems or roadblocks for them to say yes, to sell it to you. And as long as it works in your numbers, like paying for a title company, paying for transfer and all that sort of stuff, as long as that still works in your numbers, definitely proceed with it because you want to make sure that they don't have anything that's standing in their way to actually moving forward with the deal. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And then if you're doing a self-closing or closing in-house, like you're writing the deed, um, another downside to that is, um, you know, you don't have this title company who's making sure everybody's doing the right thing. Like you, the person literally has to trust you. Like you have to say, hey, now you send me the deed and I'll send you the cashier's check. And as you can imagine, not everybody is okay with that. I'm, <laughs> with that said though, I'm actually surprised a lot of people will do it. And, and maybe it's because I don't know if you're dealing with like lower end properties, like a few hundred bucks. And again, this is from somebody who's apathetic in the first place. Maybe it's because of that. I don't know. But um, so I'm not going to say you can't do it, but you know, also be ready for people who are going to be like, nope, sorry. And in those cases, your option is to either defer to a title company or you can hire a mobile notary and they would basically uh, show up with your check in their hand at this person's house or wherever they want to meet them and notarize their signature, get all their forms signed. And once they have that, literally give them the check. So that, so they're kind of like a pseudo title company in a way. Like they're not doing a title search, but they're at least handling the logistics of it. 
Well, the the, the third party uh, the, who's completely impartial to the deal, mm-hmm. because the person wants to make sure they get their money. You want to make sure you get the deed. Like you wouldn't give money before you got the deed. And but there are some people that would actually sign the deed over to you, but because um, they're just happy to get rid of it. So mm-hmm. I love the idea of using a notary, a mobile notary. There's plenty of them. I've used so many because I buy out of state. I buy oh, far yeah. away from me, and so mm-hmm. mobile notaries come to me all the time to fill out things. But um, sure. so now once you have the deed is transferred, or the, you, you get the deed, you have to go and actually record the deed, um, unless you're using a title company. So you go and go to the, um, probably the counter recorder, record the deed. Now, once it's in your name, what is the next step in order to get the either, um, let's just finding finding a buyer, be it seller financing, or you're financing it, or you're just selling outright. How do you find the buyer? Yeah, so most of the properties I've sold have sold like, to a retail audience, like the actual end user who's going to use that property. So usually what I'm doing is I'm listing it on websites like Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace, different Facebook groups. Uh, Zillow has a free for sale by owner option. And I'll say like just between those three, that can give you a ton of exposure that you're not paying anything for. Um, So that's a pretty big deal. I've sold probably like 90% of my deals on Craigslist alone. Uh, Facebook is becoming a much bigger deal now. Like I, I would almost, almost say it's a higher traffic uh, source now than Craigslist used to be, wow. but they're still both very valuable. Um, so yeah, it's really just finding where are the actual retail buyers, the end users. Uh, alternatively, I know a lot of other people, they're actually selling to other investors or maybe they're even finding builders. And uh, like a friend of mine, Carl, um, He's got like a handful of builders in the markets where he's working and they're like ready to buy his properties like immediately after he owns them. Like they've got a good relationship. They've done a lot of deals together before. So his selling process is like pretty darn easy. It's there almost is no selling process. He just kind of has these people waiting to snatch him up. Um, that's not to say he never has to work at it. I think he probably has ones where he does have to go through the motions, but having people on the line like that who are just like ready to work with you, they trust you, they've worked with you before, can significantly um, ease the burden of the selling process. That's That would be fantastic to, to have somebody that's ready to buy. So yeah. from that process, you basically do the exact same thing where you transfer the, 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 the title, they, they pay you. So it's either through another title company if the buyer's wanting that mm-hmm. or doing a mobile notary, correct? Or is there anything else outside of that same process You know, with you now being the seller? Yeah, so... Um, when it comes time to sell, there's actually some pretty helpful tools today that have not always been there. Um, for instance, you can accept payment by credit card. And this is something that you actually can't do with pretty much any type of real estate except for vacant land. Uh, there's a company called Heartland Payment Systems that literally created its own individual uh, industry code specifically for vacant land properties. Um, so. I mean, it sort of depends on the price of your property. If it's like 5,000 bucks, it's pretty easy to get a credit card payment for that. If it's like $100,000, that's probably not going to be that that simple. But um, the idea behind this though is that you're making it super easy. The person can literally click on your website and pay for the property. And then also like you have the money right like immediately. Like you don't have to wait for a check to get to come in the mail or clear. 
So once you've got your money, it's just up to you to get that deed completed and sent over to them. The only big downside pausing here, because I know you have a lot more to say, mm-hmm. is um, if they go back to their credit card after the deed's already executed, they mm-hmm. have the deed, they go back and say, hey, this was a fraudulent charge and they try to fight it. Have you yeah. seen anything like that? Yeah. So I'm not seeing that, although I think you're spot on. Like that's totally something that can happen. Um, whenever you start getting credit cards involved, lots of weird things can come in the mix. Um, Jaron Barnes, my counterpart at RE Tipster, he actually had a situation um, where somebody had tried to pay for a property using like six different credit cards in it. There was nothing fishy going on. Like they weren't stolen credit cards or anything, but just the fact that they're using six different cards, it like set off these red flags, like, whoa, 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 you can't do that. And so basically like if anything weird happens like that, um, you almost want to notify the credit card company ahead of time. Like just so you know, this huge charge is going to be coming through because if they just see that coming out of the blue, I mean, you couldn't fault them for thinking, Hey, maybe this card was stolen. (laughs) So yeah, I I would totally agree. Like if you want to completely avoid, you know, unexpected gotchas and surprises like that, skipping the credit card option is a valid option. But if you want to make it super convenient, it's kind of nice to have that there too. So it's kind of a, you know, hit or miss thing. Awesome. So now I, I'm surprised to hear Facebook Marketplace. That's really interesting. You're the second person in the last, I don't know, month that said Facebook Marketplace has been really, really good for, for them. And they were just selling like just odds and end things around the house that would normally put on Craigslist, but they put on mm-hmm. Facebook Marketplace. And like Craigslist would take like two days. Facebook Marketplace was like an hour, two yeah. hours. And so I'm going to have to start using that when I'm, when I'm selling things. Um, so once you do that, now it could be, you know, the, the transaction you have to do the normal, the same uh, normal transaction where you're doing, hopefully doing a quick claim deed or something where you're just, or the special warranty deed, like you said, that just in the time that you own it. Um, tell us a little bit, once you have somebody's ready to buy and they're going to either pay through the um, credit cards or through the, the notary or something like that, is there anything else we got to watch out for and maybe preparing the deed and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, so... Um, this is something that happened to me one time is, uh, when you get this deed, like when you're selling it and you got the deed signed and notarized, it's ready to go. Um, what I did really early on in the process is I would just mail that deed to the buyer. Like this is your deed now, get it recorded. Um, several buyers didn't understand that even though I explained to them what they needed to do. They didn't understand, like, you're not actually the listed owner until you record this thing. And so the property taxes would continue coming to me because the county didn't know, hey, you know, Seth doesn't own this anymore. Um, so now what I would do is I literally just send that directly to the county. I just totally pass the buyer because once it's recorded, then it will get forwarded to them. So um, yeah, it's just a matter of understanding uh, what the recording fees are. Usually it's, you know, not a whole lot, under 20 bucks to do that. Um, and then sending in that amount to the county until it's, uh, you know, getting it recorded. And uh, some states have uh, this, goes by a different name in like every state, but like in Michigan, it's called a property transfer affidavit is the separate notification you send to the city or township, letting them know because the county and the township don't communicate well for some reason. But so you may also need to do that as well, but that's about the extent of it. That's great. And yeah, I, so there are things that people, when they're going to have, if and when they're going to be doing this, they have to understand how to actually record a deed, um, the type of verbiage that needs to be in there. Like the, the, 
not just like the address. You can't just use the address because there's no real par parcel address because, you know, post office and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. It has like a parcel code, um, a parcel uh, uh, number as well. Um, usually it could be like a assessor's parcel number or something like that. You mm -hmm. also have to have the lot, the, um, uh, the legal description is basically what it's called. You have to have that as well. So there's a lot to it rather than just saying, you know, I'm selling this to this person and it's this address and boom. So mm -hmm. you have to do a lot more um, looking. It goes way outside of what we're talking about here. Now inside of your course, because I know you have a course where you teach people how to do this. Do you show them how to research the best ways or, you know, actually how to record the deed, what needs to go in the legal description and all that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, we've got pretty much all that stuff. I will say, when it comes to stuff like legal description, and all that, it's actually very important to get that right. That's like it's more important <laughs> than the address or the parcel. Oh model. yeah, it's like literally spelling out what the property is. If you do it wrong or you put the wrong property or something, like you can totally screw stuff up. Usually, it's not that big of a problem though. You just have to get whatever the county's website says, or if you're using a service like Data Tree, it'll have that stuff written out. Um, but just you know, I, for the longest time, I didn't understand that. Like, I didn't understand what the legal description was even doing, like why it was important, but it's it's super important. Very. But yeah, we, we explain, you know, all the documentations. We have, you know, templates and examples and, you know, very detailed videos explaining step-by-step, step, like where to go and what to do and different websites where you can get the resources you need. Um, so yeah, it's, it's all there, man. That's great. Well, that I mean, I have I definitely have plenty more questions, but we're we're definitely out of time. Um, it's been super eye opening, and so everybody that's that's watching this and listening in, um, definitely check out the description so that you can see, you can get all these great free things that um, uh, Seth is giving out, as well as seeing like the data tree, so you can be able to get the discount code in there as every as everything else. Is. But uh, anyway, Seth, it's great, been great having you on. So, is there anything else you'd like to share? Like, I know you have a podcast you want to share. You know how people can find you there too. Yeah. Um... The name is pretty brilliant. It's the RE Tipster podcast. I don't know how we came up with that, but <laughs> yeah, just uh, retipster.com forward slash podcast. You'll find just a feed of all of our episodes. And yeah, we, we talk with uh, really, it's, it's anybody that I think is interesting and fun and worth talking to. So, folks like yourself, uh, we talk with a lot of other land investors, people who have, you know, made six figures and quit their job with land investing and, you know, try to figure out, okay, how did that happen? What did you do? Like, tell us exactly what you did to make that work. Um, and also people in like the self-storage industry and apartment investing. So kind of uh, spans, you know, all across the board, but because land is sort of like a central, you know, recurring theme, I'd say probably like maybe a third or a quarter of our, of our uh, episodes are about that. So and I don't know if I mentioned it earlier, but um, the membership site where I've actually got the whole full-blown course is retipster.club. So it's a separate website from the blog, but in case you're interested, uh, feel free to check that out too. Awesome. And they, they could also go to retipster.com. You have probably links to, to get the yep. course there too, right? Yep, okay. Very cool. Well, Seth, hey, thank you so much for being here. And yeah, I learned a ton. I'm super excited. I want to start investing in land. It just sounds <laughs> like it's a great, great deal. So Again, thank you very much for being here. You bet. Thanks for having me on, man. Now, wasn't that super awesome having Seth Williams here with me on the show where we talked about raw land? Now, remember, I want to get you started investing in real estate rental properties. Text that word rental to 33777 right now, and I will get you your free download. Well, it will go into your email where you get to download that free course. Get it 
and get started investing in real estate rental properties. Hey, you guys, I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for being here with me. And I will see you next week where we'll talk more about real estate investing. All right, guys, see ya.